too much. Where's the app? Where's what app? The, this dick. Are we recording? Are we live? Unfortunately, we are recording. I should probably not say that. Well, I mean, you can't say that. It just maybe not the first thing. <laughs> okay. It may be uh, no context. It might be a little bit kind of a cold open. Yeah. All right. Well, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode four, Tangents of a Better World. Four. Um, I feel like we're really settling into our groove here, which is great. Uh, okay. <laughs> Gotta lead with confidence. So. Yep. Um, yeah. Okay. So a lot's been going on. Uh, we have a loose plan. I think we wanted to start with a follow up to our last episode. We were talking about digital boxes, though. Yes, I I didn't do a good job explaining my concept of the digital box, and honestly, I probably shouldn't do a good job because I'm going to be using it later on, maybe um, for my own personal gain. But so this isn't for your own personal. Okay, never mind. Keep going. The uh, the digital box. It is. A historical, not a, it's a historical idea that, in my own of my own creation, see the industrial revolution brought about the literal box that is making things efficiently in the world through industrialization and making the same thing over and over again and like shipping them around the world because they they fit nicely in boxes and things, where the digital revolution is making boxes that are much more personalized and they can be any size, but it's doing so with equal efficiency as the Industrial Revolution made everything the same. The Digital Revolution is now making everything individualized. But what do you mean by box? Like, what are you you talking about? As in, like, the role of the self? Because both are culturally constructed and limited. Um... Well, no, not the role. I'm more. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's. I mean, that that's just the clarification I wanted to get off the table. So if you go okay. back and you listen to what I said last episode, it might make more sense. Okay. If you say it that way, if you look at it based on that, although I was probably extrapolating, so it probably doesn't make any sense anyways. Just like it probably doesn't right now if you just turned in. So. All right, caveat achieved. Yes. Next topic. Uh, we were going to talk about net neutrality uh, when we were film or er, airing, excuse me, recording this. Uh, net neutrality was just voted out today. Yep, today. Um, Shocker. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> It'd be nice if it was, but unfortunately, this is coming for a long time. Um, I'm not an expert in <laughs> you know laws around this kind of stuff, but I know it's going to be a really big deal, and it's going to be really scary because. Um, I mean, people have been projecting a lot of bad things, and a lot of bad things will happen. Probably not everything that has been projected, um, but there's sort of a sense of lawlessness or deregulation in the sense that companies can pull a lot of shit that um, before there were at least rules preventing them from doing on paper. Yeah, I mean, even before companies were able to do that stuff, you just had to catch them in the act. And they were caught in the act several times, even pre-neutrality repeal from doing things. Right. And no. companies like Comcast have been caught in the act of doing things throttling. like selective throttling. Yeah. Um, so there's there's clearly evidence and precedent for um, them chucking those morals down the down the drain. Um, 
I'm just thinking about selective throttling and going back to topic one. That's okay. a great phrase. Sex robots. Selective. Okay. Because no, okay. like, well, when we were talking about sex robots, you had no moral qualms about selective throttling. You know, when, okay. you, when, you, when you begin every journey, you have, you have no way of knowing what you're going to find along the way and what you take with you. And when we began this journey, I was not expecting it to be um, sex robots, autoeroticism. I was not expecting literally or all auto, of our topics to have some sort of connection to sex robots. It's been it's been delightful, honestly. I love it. I hope we'll be able to take it forward as we go. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we got through that. That's all. Oh, yeah, I, we're done with that, Charlie. Okay. I mean, okay. Well, Let's take a round of applause. And the problem is, I it scares me uh, because I use so much of the internet every day. Um, and like we were talking about before, the internet is a really important platform for communication, for um, constructs of identity, um, for for really just connecting with people across the globe. And it's really important uh, as a site of social resistance. Um, so now that the idea that all of those are potentially threatened, um, I don't know. I mean, and it does apply to just the U.S., but the U.S.'s role in the internet is pretty huge. Um given that a lot of it was largely kind of invented and developed through our Department of Defense. Um, we tons and tons of IP addresses are localized to the U.S., um, or at least are kind of held by U.S. organizations and companies and departments. We didn't even got that, that annoying .uk or .du or whatever other countries have to have through their internet. That's areas. true. It's yeah, true. We just get the, the dot coms. The dot coms. Or whatever else. Dot org. Yeah. Dot biz. Do you know what dot biz? Is it just like an alternative to dot com? Probably. I mean, you can actually get... I think they, like, a couple of years ago, they opened up the floodgates of all the dots you could have. You could, like, so do whatever you want. You could do communism dot communism, probably. Or oh. com dot... Unism? Unism, or... Is that, like, uh, itch.io and, like... Well, maybe like you could, I don't know. I'm, I'm actually. It's probably not true. But okay. There, there is some level of. Here's where, here's where I look really stupid. So yeah. I mean, I don't look any more intelligent in this case. I'm just saying false information. Probably. I guess. So here, here are a couple things I project from this. Um, one, Comcast will be more, and, and other ISPs will be more aggressive with their pricing models. Um, you know, privileging certain sites or network packages and stuff. I totally see that happening. Um, but two, the other things that scare me are the um, differences and segregations that we won't even notice or won't even won't even be made transparent to us unless we search them out. Like what? Um, Give me an example of something that would be in that category. Uh, throttling of sites that Comcast doesn't want you to have good experiences on. Um, so you can still access that site and nothing is telling you that you can't access it. But when you do access it, you're getting a subpar experience because Comcast has some sort of interest in making sure you don't go there. Will Comcast be able to shut off your choices entirely? Like, could, could they like block Reddit, for example, if they wanted to? I think so. And, and for the record, when I say Comcast, I just mean ISP. ISPs in general. But Comcast is, you know, one of the primary entities that we think of when we think of bad interactions with ISPs. Um, I think I think that it, would be insane. I, I mean, I think net neutrality that was just repealed was requiring ISPs to 
um, privilege all interactions equally. We gotta save this. I mean, that's, <laughs> it's, I mean that's not there anymore, right? Uh, I mean, no. I've heard there's going to be a lot of court battles and lawsuits happening. I don't know what that timeline is. I don't know what their odds of winning are. I don't know if um, the rules have already been removed and will be removed until the court battles are won, or if it's the other way around, if it'll only happen once the battles are lost. Uh, unclear to me. So. Yeah, I mean, I mean, how, how soon can they start throttling my connection? Is it immediate? Because Reddit was loading kind of slow today, and I was like, mm. I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> I don't know. See, so many unknowns and so much I don't. That's the hard part about these these bills and why they seem so abstract. And actually, I, I would say um, different internet communities did a remarkably good job of mobilizing and of engaging in activism. I think it was pretty incredible to watch. Um, but even then, it seems like such a far off, distant, scary, th- but kind of intangible thing that it's hard to even. Uh, conceptualize how it will jeopardize our existence. Uh, okay, it gets back to episode one. We were talking about different layers and levels of power. Yeah, this is this is really high up there on that power this chain. Is like level two or the unspoken of level four. The oft, the oft eluded but yeah. rarely disclosed level four. Just that we that we must not even speak of because it has no clear definition yet. Power that. The power of named. knowledge control, like, or... Yeah. You know. um, See, here are some no- notes I would like to put in. Okay. Um, one is that the internet is with us. Not, like, with us as in, like, Always. morally, like, they're, they're behind us. Although they, they, the internet mostly clearly wants no neutrality. Um, I would say the internet the is dominant. with us as, as a historical phenomenon in the, fe- in the sense that it is not going away. It is only going to stay here as long as you get more present in our everyday lives. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what the ISPs, they understand that. And they're trying to milk every penny they can get out of it while they can. I, I also have this prediction that I do not think this is going to last forever. I do not think this is a sustainable way. Although, maybe like this kind of hyper-capitalism is what we're doomed for in the future. And I'm just optimistic that we don't have to get there. Mm. So you're talking about milking every penny. I sort of, I sort of have a bit of a different vision, and that's they're not just trying to milk every penny now, but they're trying to shape the way the system will continue to expand and grow and be created. Right. So mm-hmm. it's not that the tree is trying to produce a lot of fruit, but the tree is trying to put down a lot of roots, um, in that sense. And I think the more that Conquest, the conquest, Comcast. Uh, apps, oh, that's actually a really apps bad. Freudian, Freudian slip. slip. Yeah, um, the more that Comcast can kind of embed itself in the fabric of our network um, and of the internet at large, um, the the more it will. Okay, I think I think really Comcast really, does so at its own peril. The easier it shall be to nationalize in a couple years. All right, <laughs> whatever. We already um, paid for the cables, brothers. I'm just saying that uh, I think that the goal of every company is to get higher up on that power chain. Oh, like, like higher within, more ingrained in the market structure, the so monopoly. I, I think that Comcast's goal, if it is unethical and smart as a business, I don't know if it's both, it's at least one of those. It's probably smart. Um, its goal is probably to get off the radar and 
get more insidious and more ever present, more omnipotent, um, but less under public scrutiny, right? Uh, I mean, that would be optimal, probably, and yet still charges high prices, right? And maybe, maybe in the future, it'll just be a thing that we're used to, and that would be the worst thing of all. Right. If like our kids grow up. And they're just like, oh yeah, it's just what you do. You just microtransaction your entire way through the internet. It's the way. That's the way it works. You're paying a toll. Yeah. Um, oh, fucked up. God damn microtransactions. Oh, we should we should get into that next about gaming and then what that means for the larger community. Um, but because I guess what got me thinking about this was just the the. I, I can't steal all the stuff, but I'll at least cite it. Was that um, John Oliver's segment on the Sinclair yep. Broadcasting Corp? Um, that was shocking to me just because I didn't realize that such a conglomerate existed. I'm, we are living in the new age of monopolies, okay? Right. And so I think... In it, so many ways, not just like uh, ISPs are monopolies, like the big internet companies. Google has a monopoly of information. You know how fuck that is? Like, what the shit? But Google, we love you. Please don't hurt our and, SEO. And Comcast has a monopoly on you accessing that information? You know how fucked that is? Yeah. God, and neither, neither is truly on your side. I think Google does a much better job than Comcast, but I mean, they're still businesses. Yeah. Um, and like Amazon's putting out all retailers and just, it's, it's not so looking pretty guys. I guess I'm just saying that the Sinclair group is, I think yeah. if you are a corporation, your goal is to be Sinclair because you want to have your fingers in all of the pies and you want no one to know that you're doing it. Disney does that. And Disney's actually just, yeah. Like also today, they submitted a, like a final offer to acquire a large a, a like eighty percent of Fox Corporation. So and, and Disney's Disney's very effective at owning lots of studios and production companies mm-hmm. that produce very different content from what you would typically associate with Disney. But that's the point: is they they manage to stay on brand, on message, but they still manage to do other things at the same time without hurting that because. Um, they don't associate themselves at all with their affiliate and subsidiary companies. Yeah. Uh, it's really smart and really sneaky. Shit's fucked, man. Shit's I'm pissed. Okay. This is why we need communism, okay? <laughs> this is exactly why. Okay. I I mean, I hear you. I hear you. That's next podcast. That's next? Well, I mean, right? Coming like, coming up soon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. That'll be next. Not not this one. Next week. Okay. Coming up soon. Stay tuned. Um, let's... Okay. Before we... Do you want to talk about neoliberalism first before microtransactions? Would that make more sense? No, talk about microtransactions because that's really relevant. Okay. Um, so um, if you're even tangentially related to the gaming community, you've probably heard a lot about the drama about... Um, microtransactions and specifically loot boxes um, and how uh, games are more and more um, taking on um, what realistically, honestly, is a gambling model. Um, but even like before the reward based became a thing, microtransactions were also still a thing where you would buy in-game currency with real-life things and you wouldn't have to gamble for your prizes. Right. I think the gambling is just another layer of like... Trying to squeeze you for every penny you're worth. Right. Because one of the principles of a microtransaction and what makes it so effective is that um, most of the time, uh, a microtransaction works in a situation where you can get to the object. to You can get to your goal without paying money, but the path to that 
is just annoying enough that you don't really want to and you'd rather pay a small amount of money to avoid it. Um, because it's an easier pill to swallow if you at least know that you can get there without it, but you're just taking a shortcut rather than uh, being um, obviously offended if the only way to get through it is through a paywall. Um, so it it's, it's creeping up more and more and more and more in gaming, but I wonder if it'll happen in our internet as well uh, with Comcast being saying something like... Um, well, yeah, you can access these sites at this bit rate, or you can pay $2 to have an internet booster for the next 12 hours. God um, damn it. Right? I mean, like, it sounds horrible and alien, but at the same time, it's it's already being done in games. And so, it- so, like, let's say, let's say Com- Comcast, in its, in its wisdom or benevolent insidiousness, like, decides to make internet free for everybody. So you can just connect to the internet whenever, except the internet's chocked full of microtransactions so instead yeah. of having to pay for internet you have to do the things where you buy 12 internet boosters or whatever or maybe both i mean realistically they might do both but i mean why would they cut off the revenue stream right like <laughs> and they can do both i mean like like i said maybe last week or the week before it's just like they already cable companies already charge you three times for your tv that you want so they're going to charge you as much as they can yeah for your internet you use and I mean, I think in gaming that works because there are, if you develop a big enough following for a game, there will always be people who are willing to put in massive amounts of time and massive amounts of money. Um, probably just as true for the internet itself. Um, yeah, I it's, it's predatory business practice. That's really what it is. And people like they're a bunch of dumb idiots. Not <laughs> maybe I shouldn't. I shouldn't say this so, but that I think that the market is going to figure it out because there'll be reputable companies that don't charge these things. The market does will, figure it out, but it figures out how to exploit us. It doesn't figure out yeah. how to treat us ethically. First of all, the market's not going to figure this out. Get that idea out of your head because these companies are ridiculously big. It's ridiculously expensive to lay down the new infrastructure, which, by the way, the public paid for in the United States. And often hasn't seen the benefit of in yes. the slightest. Paying for fiber optics. And so it's like not like new companies are gonna like emerge and lay down new cable to to be nicer people to you. No, like right. It's. I think you can draw some analogies to the development of uh, railway networks um, in the U.S. I just don't really yeah, I mean, and it doesn't necessarily anymore have the same problem of um, standardizing rail dimensions and rail lines, but. Um, it's the idea of who controls the means of transit. So it's not just the good itself, but the ability to carry the good across. Um, you know, it's, I mean, it's not the age of necessarily um, uh, popularized or celebrity rail tycoons, but I think there are probably, you know, the, the tycoons of internet are probably a pretty decent analogy nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, Google's got the information and Comcast gives it to you. Yeah, I mean, how many more layers? How many more hands can you get in that pie? Like, yeah. But I would say, from a PR perspective, Google does a much better job than Amazon. I mean, I don't even know who the CEO of Google is. I don't either. And that's probably a good thing. Like for them, that's probably what they want. Is they don't want a uh, a reputation tied to a person because that person can then be easily scrutinized and vilified. Um, I mean, Jeff Bezos has. I mean, he's ridiculously successful and he's very smart at what he does, but um, 
by standing out from the crowd, now he's like, you know, a target for pretty common critique. Um, so I guess you can play it both ways, but I think, um, I think Amazon and Google are starting to diverge a little bit. Um, yeah. Any, any good news? (laughs) Anything that's going to make people happy to listen to this podcast? Uh... Well, as of, like, this moment. So this may not be the most relevant by the time you hear it, but as of this moment. Oh, um, fuck, yeah, Doug Jones! <laughs> yeah, well, that's not what I was going to go for, but that was also really good. Doug Jones yeah, we should talk Alabama. about Alabama. We should. Yeah, yeah. way to go. A step against pedophilia and towards decency. <laughs> I don't know a lot about Doug Jones, but he's not Roy Moore. Right. And I know that's a shitty way of choosing someone. But, but I bet if I looked into Doug Jones, he'd probably be a reasonable guy. Okay, but that exact thought process is the kind of thing we're trying to call out in this podcast. But, okay. I guess what I'm trying to say is I also didn't hear a lot of negatives about Doug Jones. But that True. also could be the media I'm listening to, too. So Right, so he can't... So, yeah, doesn't... look him up. Tell me if he's good or bad. Actually, don't you don't have to tell me. I'll look him up, but, yeah. Oh, it's, we, we have an email about. now. We should talk about that. Yeah, we have an email. Uh, so you can finally contact us. It is... Uh, literally just the title at gmail.com. Tangents of a better world at gmail. All one word. Com. Right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you want to go eight different words on the email. HTTP yeah. uh, forward slash forward slash um, <laughs> tangents. Tangents.co.uk. <laughs> Somewhere. Uh, forward slash better world slash feed. Um, yes. And then you're going to want to um, post it. And then you're also going to want to print out your screenshot and you're going to mail it Wait, no, 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 to... No, no, no. You print out your screenshot, you roll PO it up in a little tube and then you mail it by Carrier Pigeon. Um, carrier Pigeon and then it's going to get to us by vacuum tube. So Yes. Yeah. And then we'll send it back to you from uh, Smoke Signals. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope you know your Morse code. Or you can just email us tangentsofabetterworld at gmail.com. Um, yeah. Anyway, carry on. What were you saying? Talking about Roy Moore, like in being and in, in getting fucked up. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I think uh, it's a it's it really too close. It's really just... promising that um, the Senate could flip Democrat for a state like Alabama, and obviously there were pretty extraordinary circumstances that led that to happen. So I don't think that that's we're not in the clear by any stretch of the imagination. But um, simply the fact that it can be done is really cool to see, um, mm-hmm. and really heartening and. We were talking earlier about some of the demographics behind that. We should. Do you want to talk about that? Like how voting, how, voting demographics. How black women voted ninety-seven percent for Doug Jones, which is that's insane. incredible. That's such remarkable solidarity. <laughs> and and black men were not quite as much, but still, there was a pretty. That was extreme. It was like it was like ninety, right? Also, apparently, like they came out more for um, Doug Jones than they did for Obama. I heard, which is like. I mean, I, I imagine if you're in Alabama, it's probably like did you just assume that Obama's not going to win Alabama because it's such a a Republican heavy state. Normally, well, there's a lot of psychology that we could just kind of re- try to reverse diagnose and probably but, but, unsuccessfully. But, but, but like the fact that they came out in such numbers speaks to <coughs> the idea that this is an important time in history. Yeah, I mean, a lot of conservative outlets are definitely trying to spin this as being some sort of conspiracy vote manipulation thing right now. Um, I don't. I just don't buy it. I mean, I think is that what you found when you you dives into those areas? I yeah, my my daily 
two-minute prod. Uh, pulled up a lot of those results, unfortunately. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there were individual attempts at voter fraud, but I doubt there was some sort of systemic difference that led to a 1.5% margin. Um, Don't you know that millions of illegal immigrants voted illegally for Clinton in the general election? Uh, and if you factor those out, then Trump actually won the popular vote, right? Just See, like, that's actually... I was talking to one of my friends around this over the summer. That's actually a, such a more dangerous claim than one might imagine because if they find... Any and there's there's a task force directed to find voter fraud, right? Like it was something set up. Yeah. But if they find any evidence of voter fraud, they can do they can do terrible things like suppress votes in the, in the next election, or like maybe this is, is my version of a conspiracy theory, but it's possible that like Trump finds a way to suspend the next election. If he doesn't think he's going to win. And like oh, I said, it's probably conspiracy. A la House of Cards or something like that. I haven't seen House of Cards, though. But does that happen okay. in House of Cards? Uh, there are a lot of parallels between House of Cards and the Trump administration. Does, 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 does um, they delay, they, uh, they, yeah, they call, well, okay, spoilers of House of Cards coming up for yeah. uh, season four slash five, the final seasons. Um, yeah, basically, there there's a there's an election uh, that the the protagonist is realistically going to lose, and so they um, call into question um, the integrity of the votes in several states and use that to delay the determination of the candidate I- indefinitely. Basically, um, it's pretty scary stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's fucked. But yeah, I'm not getting the details exactly right. But that's now, like the gist. We have a. Semi-operational electoral system. Yeah. I mean, like, even if Roy had won, we'd still have a semi-operational electoral system. Right. But there are still issues of voter suppression and things yeah. such as that, which prevent... Or gerrymandering, voter suppression. These are all things well, that get in the way of democracy. And something that is used uh, really problematically is that if you can find even one example... You can. That's all you need to spin up a conspiracy theory about a larger problem that supposedly exists but doesn't actually. There were like 150 million like people right. that could vote in America, and there were like right. probably sub 20 cases of voter fraud. But that's that's the evidence used in a lot of these. So if you find one, if you find one bad apple and you write it up on Breitbart and you push it out, then a million people are going to use that to confirm their existing biases, um, and just further entrench themselves in beliefs that at the end of the day were only just one bad apple being written up on Breitbart. Yeah. Um, just gotta, you gotta look at the data. <laughs> That's another one of the lessons. Look at the data. Find the data. The The individual case is probably sad, but you want to look at the larger trends available. Yeah. Um, that's... It's just bad ar- bad argument. Yeah. It's, this applies to all things, not just voting, but like... Any any case study you're going to look at is this case study. The use of specific examples is yeah. always suspect. I mean, yes. it's an important it's an important way to illustrate points. So I'm and not it saying does it appeal to, to like emotions, which helps you kind of understand issues better. It's like, a human interest aspect, yeah. right? So I, I watched um, 
an epi- uh, not an episode, like a new story about the refugee crisis last year for one of my classes. Yeah. And it was kind of much more focused on the case study. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna deny that it's a huge problem. And it's definitely not one of those cases where there is what I'm trying to say is that it does affect a large amount of people and ought to be dealt with as such. Yeah. But the case study literally made me cry because I was so emotionally attached to it. But and, it was one case study, right? But it, it speaks. I think it like covered a bunch, a couple of different people. But still, sure, it sure. does speak to a larger problem that has statistically large amounts of people attached to it. So it wasn't right. just one one person yeah. who had a sad story. It was a lot of people. I guess. I guess what I'm trying to say is that case studies yeah. um, clearly clearly are have been used to tell truth mm-hmm. they can also be used to tell lies and so they the existence of a case study in and of itself is not enough generally to prove a point but sometimes it helps proving a point like i, I can sit comfortably in america i mean uh, there's not much i can do to change european policy in general but i can sit comfortably and just say it, it not think about it but like if they can invoke that emotional reaction i might be more willing to do something to help right I mean, that, that can be used in both ways. Just don't let your emotions take, take the better of you, is, yeah. I guess, the real lesson here. Yeah. The other interesting thing about this is how it relates to the tax bill. And there are uh, – there's definitely some hypocritical behavior here going on um, because the Republicans are in a rush to get their Tax Cuts and Jobs Act passed before um, Doug Jones takes his Senate seat uh, in the coming months. Um, when does he take a seat? You know, I don't know. I know it's probably beginning of next year. I think it's it's not for a little while, re- most likely. Um, uh, that that is uh, inconsistent behavior with how Republicans have tried to act before. Uh, I mean, they delayed Supreme Court. I, I was reading what this on Reddit. I don't remember exactly where, so I can't cite it. But um, some people were talking about how you know they um, delayed. Obama's Supreme Court justice pick for a really, really long time, like potentially like up to a year, uh, on the argument that the justice should be chosen by whoever the people choose for new president. So, like those delays are even more extreme. Um, I mean, I'm not going to put that just on Republicans in this case. I feel like it's a it's a political game, and if Democrats were in the same situation, they probably would have done something the same. I don't think they necessarily do. Is what I'm trying. I think. Yeah. Okay, here I, I don't. I'm not an expert, but I think that there have been examples within the past couple yeah. of years of similar situations uh, where uh, Democrats did not fight for one thing and do the other. Uh, oh, that's not. What I, mean. I meant like delaying things, but I, I think. But that's what I mean. Is in fight for one thing, as in whether or not to delay and then not delay. Okay. Anyway, it's it's not important. I could be wrong, but. Um, Check the jobs. Is what you're talking about? Yeah, it's, that's that's really what I'm interested in, is just that um, this throws into even more tension an already very tense situation. And more stark relief, the the blatant hypocrisy that is the Republican Party. Yeah. This isn't going to win us any objectivity points, but let's be real, okay? Yeah. Uh, and, and regardless of what that speaks of for the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, that realistically, by the time you hear this episode, will have I one way or the other been decided. Um the introduction of Doug Jones to the Senate is going to change a lot of what Congress can try and do next year. Um, which is to say it probably will no longer be able to do very much. Uh, 
Paul Ryan's hopes for entitlement reform are looking pretty slim right now. Fuck you, Paul Ryan. <coughs> there's also rumors. There's rumors he's going to retire or retire from being House Speaker after 2018. House Speaker, so he's going to still be someone in the I, House. I don't. Uh, he's a young and he's not going to get out of the business. Yeah, I mean it's all speculation at this point, but there's there's rumors. I mean, like it appeared, it showed me in Facebook that it said that I'm like this could actually be fake news, right? But if Facebook picked it up, it's theoretically at least has some amount of. I'm not saying it is, it's, but clearly, it's Facebook. It doesn't have credibility, not anymore. I well, can't trust. Facebook I am not saying it is like a confirmed thing, but like if it's something as big as that, it's probably got some amount of source behind it because they probably. At this point, curate their stuff a little bit better, but one would hope. I, 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 mean, it's, it's, I, but I definitely I reviewed it with a critical, with a critical lens, and I yeah. was like, "Is this something that could legitimately happen?" And I was like, "Potentially," and that's all I'm gonna say. Okay, that's that's what I'll that's all I was yeah. saying here was that that's it is very much hearsay at this point. Um, but another another problem with that is that I mean, as much as Facebook promotes that problem, media businesses and corporations themselves and news organizations on the internet are just as guilty of this. They'll one, one group goes live with an article and then two minutes later, another group goes live with an article saying, Hey, this place is reporting it. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, news has always kind of done this, but it's really bad in the information age um, where it just immediately spreads. And so you'll see a whole suite of websites saying the same headline and you think, Oh wow, this must be solid. It must be really well reported. Mm-hmm. Really, there's probably just only one or two sources, and then all of the others are picking up on that first article that came out. Yeah, um, yeah. terrifying. News is really important to a, a well-running democracy, and we have neglected our news organizations. Well, Not only just, in the can... information age, but also in the previous decades as well. Sure. Um, but it's just so easy now to create whatever reality you want to create by tuning into the voices you want to hear and tuning out the ones you don't. It's so easy to do that now. I mean, at some level, you're creating your own reality. And and I mean, this this has negative implications when you're like a policy maker. But if you're just a random guy, you can create any reality you want. Reality is still going to come knocking on your door. It doesn't always. I mean, like, like you can pretend that that just everything's going great for the leftists right now, but as all these things get passed, like like the tax cuts and jobs and anti neutrality, like your internet experience is going to change no matter what you read about. How good it's going, or what, what kind of different things there are to hope for. But that's well, that's the thing though, is that if you're like a, you know, if you're a middle class or upper class uh, suburban yeah. white Republican somewhere, um, you know, there's a decent chance that, just like other people, but definitely for you too, that your reality is being spun around a particular narrative, um, and that might ultimately make changes that you wouldn't expect, but at the same time, those people are really well insulated from those problems, right? Like if you're, if you have a lot of means and if you have a lot of privilege, then um, the the changing of government infrastructure doesn't always uh, completely rock your boat, 
but if you are already on the poverty line or far below the poverty line, um, those differences can really make the difference between life or death. Yeah. My mother, who is like the other liberal in my family of five, um, when when Trump got elected, she she like talked to to my family or not my family. She talked to like some some people who were politically saying dumb dumb stuff in my family, and she was like, or maybe she was just talking to me. I don't know. Bad story. This is poorly introduced, but she was like, it doesn't affect me if Obamacare gets repealed, right? Because my, my family is pretty well-to-do, but it affects everyone else. Like, it affects people starting families, like people that my mom might have been talking with, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Who might have voted in bad ways. So. Who probably did vote in bad ways. Who definitely voted in bad ways. Okay, let's, let's not be... Let's not... Actually, you know what? Talk about people who... Objectivity outside. be damned. Trump is a fucking disaster, okay? There is no... You mean, it's you not mean relativity worth, be damned. Rel- relatively to be damned. Okay, there you go. Well, I mean, our, our air of like... Oh, our, our objectivity. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Non-biasness. Yeah, yeah. Trump is a disaster. Trump is a piece of shit. Yeah. Like, like if you try to give him an inch, you're just going to get gaslit by the entire Republican establishment. Well, yeah, but again... At, at this point, he's done everything he has to. Yeah. To, he to, opened the floodgate. But it's not... It's not tr- just... Trump, like that's that's a mistake. Also, to like look at him as just not being. Just Trump. That's that's also a political tool to create a bobblehead to take all of the punches and all of the shockwaves while the real deals go on in the back room, right? I mean, like I just Trump Trump being an asshole to politicians across the world stage is going to hurt our pride as Americans. But what will more directly hurt us is Congress sneaking through dangerous bills that affect our livelihoods. Mm-hmm. But if Trump can distract from those things, as he so. Clearly does. No. Intentionally. He'll start a new scandal just to, do, just to distract him things. Yeah, it's, it's strategic like, drama. There's, there's probably going to be a new scandal very soon to distract from net neutrality. Probably. So, um, so just be prepared for that. Like, Or next week if the Senate, if, if Congress actually goes into a vote on the bill. Um, the tax bill. Why did I just bring that up? <laughs> Why did I have to give my rage out a little bit? Uh, I'm not sure. Well, I feel like we were talking about something adjacent. Uh, to relativity? Mm. Well, we're talking about um, journalism and about how journalism. stories spread and about how um, you okay, create you your got... own world. You create your own world, basically. Okay. And then you're, you're... It doesn't... Okay, that's what we were talking about. Yeah. So it's... It's entirely possible for false narratives to perpetuate for years because they can be spun to people who will not be really impacted either way. Yeah. Um, and I was actually just thinking about this well, earlier. I didn't know how to kind of fit it into the conversation. But the real issue here are the people that are kind of apathetic. Not the real issue. One of the many issues uh-huh. is potentially the people that are apathetic about things in like who who don't care either way if like oh, this doesn't affect me I don't, I don't care it's like you really should you really have to because otherwise like it's going to be shit for everyone mm. and, and I had a a thought about voters in Alabama and then not like the people 
uh, there that right now, but just in a, like a like for example in the in the in the general election, if people think that their their state can't possibly go one direction, um, that apathy really hurts the democracy. Absolutely. And that's that's probably one of the most powerful messages from Alabama is that things that seem impossible are not actually impossible. And the circumstances that led to this uh, are extraordinary, but that doesn't mean it can't happen again. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you're um, in a deep red state and you feel differently, please vote anyway. I mean, it's so important. Uh, just to build momentum, if nothing else. And just to show that it's not as deep red as it might be. <laughs> right, because when I say you're in a deep red state, that's a construct that's created from people voting and people not voting. So it's it's both. Um, okay, now do we shift to neoliberalism? Yes, we, we should probably shift to neoliberalism. Okay. So this started because uh, Purple dropped it at dinner and I didn't know, I wanted him to explain it. So why don't you take the reins here? I mean, I'll probably do a really bad job explaining it myself. You'll do a better job than I could. Neoliberalism is this kind of concept that's arisen in the last couple decades, maybe since World War II with the rise of the IMF and the World Bank and things like that. But it's this idea that, like, what ought to be promoted in the world is economic growth. And the best way to do that is to enact policies which help businesses. So neoliberalism results in a lot of multinational corporations kind of having more power than like individual nations. So this would be like lower tariffs? Yeah, this would be like things that lower tariffs, that open trade, things, things that try to promote those kind of things. That's kind of – except n- not even – in terms of just classical economics, but things that actively promote like larger industries, like for example, potentially lowering the minimum wage of a nation just so that like certain companies to have, invite international business to invite international business or to give very specific companies even like access to a uh larger wage or a larger employee pool or something like that. Like Nike or Apple or... So, yeah. Neoliberalism is just nations trying to promote multinational corporations. It's kind of like the multinational corporation is taking over as opposed to like things like the, the United Nations. Right. Which lead to a tremendous amount of other problems where corporations are now more powerful than small countries that they descend upon like vultures. Yeah. Um, sucking out the irreplaceable natural resources. Um. Neoliberalism is really tied to neocolonialism in a lot of ways, especially in, in places like Africa or Southeast Asia. It's because like, uh, uh, there might not be colonies anymore, but there are business interests that are as th- that still extract an equivalent amount of wealth as colonies used to in a lot of cases. And as you see people in servitude. Yeah, and, and as intangible and tenuous as the idea of a nation state is um, the identity of a company is even more intangible. So, like, you come in, you do your damage, you leave. Yeah, it's like... you only And it's like you weren't even there. I mean... And there's almost no recourse. Yeah. And, uh, and for my... I took a class that dealt with environmentalism. 
And one of the things we had to talk, we talked about was neoliberalism. And we watched this like documentary about these tr- protests against the World Trade Organization, which kind of facilitates neoliberalism in a lot of cases. And one of the main arguments against it was that it reduces national sovereignty in a lot of ways. Interesting. Because, like, you can sue for loss of profits or loss of potential profits. So if some if a company, like, protects a piece of land or enacts a new policy, like, a company can sue per potential loss of profits. Wow. I mean, maybe not that exactly, but there are things like that. In that's essentially the idea of behind the Olympics. Okay, but so we're hating on the WTO a little bit, but the WTO is just yeah. But at the same time, isn't that taking pretty big steps towards uh, a unified system of governance that we were just talking about a couple episodes back in our ideal world? Yeah, um, I, I definitely did say I'm all for globalization. But I do not want these corporations who are designed to bleed nation people and resources dry for profit that they then accumulate themselves. Okay, I, do not, I do not want them leading the charge. Okay. I much prefer things like the UN leading the charge. Okay. And um, you bring up a, a good good way to kind of transition into into nationalism. Because we both say we don't like the idea of the nation, but we both think the idea of the nation being trampled on by the, the business is bad. Yeah. And and in our conversation, we talked about, or, or I, I brought up this, this idea that I had that's probably not my own, that I exist in the culture that speaks to these things, that right now we exist at a point in history when it's really the nationalists versus the neoliberals. And we don't want either of them to win. Yeah. So, so like, um, Hillary Clinton was kind of a neoliberal. Maybe not as insidious as I mentioned, but definitely more in that kind of thought process uh, than someone who's like a than Trump, who is most definitely a nationalist. Right. Even if he wants big business, he's maybe a little bit of both, but still... <laughs> And this is he wants big business on American. This terms. is occurring in a lot of places, and you see like the backlash to, to international like neoliberalism is all this right wing nationalism that's occurring all over the world right now, like in places like the Philippines or in Europe or in South other places. But right, so as bad as the shockwaves are in America, they're potentially much worse in other countries yeah. that depend on America for trade. Mm-hmm. Neoliberalism versus the nationalists. Oh, gosh. And these are both crumbling ideologies. Capitalism is crumbling. The nation state is crumbling, hopefully. (laughs) I wouldn't say it's as evident, either of them, but one can hope. It's really strange um, to, uh, you know, as homegrown American boys like we are, um, to live in a world where we don't really have to give a shit about global politics, but other co- other countries, people who grow up in countries outside of the U.S., kind of have to pay pretty close attention to what goes on here. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that's not just or equitable at all, uh, but it's 
it's strange to think of lives that are being ruled by countries that aren't even their own. Yeah. It's like it's problems stacked on problems on problems. Not only do you have to deal with your own country defining your identity, but you have to deal with that a country halfway across the world doing the same thing. Yeah, uh, that's it's it's very similar to old colonial powers. That's why it's neo-colonialism in a lot of ways. But um, but yeah, an example of this would be like a, a free trade agreement. So. Let's say one presidential candidate is for a free trade agreement while another is against it. And the free trade agreement in- includes, like, a reduction of tariffs with a, a small nation. That small nation is going to be very interested in how that turns out. So they, they would want a candidate to win even if they didn't have, like, any say in that in any way. Right. That's just an example of how this well, I mean, it seems like international lobbying can apply in just the same way that domestic lobbying can work, right? I mean, if you... I don't know much about international lobbying, so... Well, I'm just saying that building relationships with foreign powers, um, the ones that are more powerful will have a larger impact on international policy. Um, the smaller ones that maybe will be impacted the most have the smallest voice. Um, yeah. So, unless you have a permanent seat on the UN, uh, good luck, right? Because <laughs> um, yeah, you won't even have a veto pen. That's why you gotta come together. <laughs> Workers of the world. How unite. fucked up is the UN? Like, as, as good as the UN is, how fucked up is the UN? I mean, it explicitly privileges the power of countries A, B, C, D. Um, the Security Council countries. Right. I wonder if when we will reach, not if, but when we'll reach the point when those tables turn and those countries are... Less powerful. And less like, powerful We have, we have new others. countries like Brazil, Indonesia, India right, that are like right. the real powerhouses. Do they take over? Like, is there some sort of uprising in the UN is really... That, that is curious It would probably me. form a different UN, I imagine. But let, let's let's dissolve national... One with cocaine and hookers. That's the Futurama <laughs> quote, right? Yeah. Let's dissolve the nation. Say, let's dissolve capitalism. Let's create a nice uh, United Workers of the World Union and just be happy from there. Create a fair and equitable society. That's, that's what we want. That doesn't, doesn't exploit... That doesn't base all our decisions off selfishness and greed. Destruction of the world. Yeah, it's interesting how we were talking about this also at dinner, which was how much uh, hope is used as a tool of manipulation and political capital, right? Uh, Goodwill with your constituents is like currency. You can spend it. And if you spend it on something that doesn't pay out, you've lost it again for that year or for that that election cycle. Um, I hope that Trump's goodwill is nearly all but gone. We'll see. Yeah, I mean... I guess... Maybe this has always been the case, but it just seems recently that the platforms of politicians in uh, prominent American politics have really been around, like, this time we're going to shake it up. Mm -hmm. Um, Obama did that. Uh, Trump did that in a different, distinctly Trumpian way. Um, 
I wasn't really cognizant of politics when Bush was elected, to be honest. Yeah. I'm too young, so I don't really know about that. But um, it just seems like people's own emotions and their tendencies to construct identity are being actively used against their own self-interest. Yeah. And... Um... I, well, I, I mean, like, oh, this dinner must have been a hell of a, our listeners probably think it was a hell of a conversation, but I, I use the example of, like, Roosevelt was the last kind of great Democrat reformer who actually did a lot to, in, in terms of creating new institutions or regulations or programs that really help people out and since then the the democratic party has itself been taken over by business interests in a lot of ways and even obama wasn't like this this enlightened guy who changed the world and made it better he was he was a neoliberal just like just like clinton bill clinton was and hillary clinton I'll defend that he did a pretty damn good job, though. Obama? Yeah. I mean, yeah, he definitely turned the economy around, but it's... Okay, maybe just current events are making me, like, Yeah, I mean, compared to more. Trump, he's definitely way good, but, like, he, he didn't, he didn't like, give us universal health care. He, he, he gave us, like, a, a half... And, I mean, maybe that's all he could have gotten with the political climate at the time, but... It's wow. still a privatized system where we pay insurers the right to pay for health care. Yeah. As opposed to just having it supplied from the government, even though we pay as much per capita as other nations who have universal health care. Right. Or other things like environmental regulations. Those aren't very strict. Or things like carbon taxes. Those don't really exist. Just There's a lot of stuff that, that's left on the table. And I mean... It's better than not doing it. It's better than like trying to deregulate it or anything like that. But it's definitely not as much or not as impactful as anything it could have been. Yeah, not not for eight years. And, and this is probably why a lot of people like a, a lot of Republicans might kind of be against the Democratic Party because in a lot of ways they have failed to create a better world because – or at least they haven't done a, a lot down that path. And there are still these large industries getting bigger and bigger and the wealth gap increasing. And so un, under Democrats like Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, I'm not saying that, that voting for Republicans is better, but I could understand a little bit where the mistrust of Democrats might be coming or mistrust towards Democrats might be coming from. But like we were also talking about earlier that uh, a a good uh, direction implemented poorly is still better than mm. a bad direction at any day of the week. Yeah. I mean, the solution isn't to abandon Democrats. The solution is to find better Democrats, really. Yeah. <laughs> better progressives. and or, or ideally someone who's not a Democrat, who's independent, who is outside of the bullshit two-party system. Yeah. We should talk about I don't know if that's for this episode, but at some point we need to talk about the two-party system and how that is a huge problem in our politics. We can definitely do that. Um, 
Yeah. I, so you said something outside. What was the last thing you, know you said what? before Fuck that? Fuck it. Let's get into this. What was the last I thing you said before that? I had a point in response to that. Okay. You uh, said something about... How just because there's something bad... Oh, uh, yes. Uh, uh, a good idea implemented poorly is still better than a bad <laughs> idea. Yeah, it's... it's <laughs> yeah. And, like, you're seeing the ramifications of all these bad ideas, like, on, like, small towns and things like that, that is generally Republican territory, and so they just go more right. They just go more towards the right, more towards, right. like, more austerity, more free market, more deregulation, just more things that benefit the rich also, somehow, even though it's not like to dig for coal and all you find is your own grave, really. <laughs> I don't know that quote, but I like it. I just made it. It's okay. not a quote. So it's like at some point, like I kind of wish they would they would look the other direction, but it's it's not looking great right now. I mean, if you look away from the light, all you see is shadows. So <laughs> you're full of those tonight, aren't you? Yeah. We had some good chicken. It was good. It was good fucking chicken. Good fucking chicken. Um, okay. We should stop here, but I'm not going to. We should talk about the two-party system. Sure. I, mean, I don't think it's enough to do a full episode on, so let's, let's do it. Okay. Um, one of my soapboxes is that um, one of the major drivers of problems in politics is identity. The uh, Problems driving out of perceived differences of identity. Um not just identity politics, because there are a lot of problems around different identities that do need to be addressed and are totally valid. But what I'm talking about specifically is uh, the us versus them mentality that springs up so easily. Um, and the primary driver of that being this um, ingrained system of Republican and Democrat. Um, you grow up Republican. Your daddy's a Republican. Your daddy's daddy's a Republican. Or your dad is Democrat, your daddy's dad is Democrat, um, and your family is this way, and then you take after this, and then it's no longer just about um, a series or a system of political beliefs, but it's more about validation of your basic existence as a human being and about the value of your family um, and about the fam- about the value of the life that you experienced. Uh, and so really what's happening is that people in power are taking advantage of our willingness to attribute value to these abstract concepts time and time and time again. Uh, and they use that to herd us like sheep into one voting booth or, you know, uh, well, the same booth, but different colors, right? Um, it's like what we said before, you don't want to let your emotions get involved. You look at the data, right? It's not just emotions. It's, that we uh, forget what's actually at stake here. Yeah. We were talking earlier about Roy Moore and Doug Jones. Um, really, we shouldn't be happy that Doug Jones won just because he's a Democrat. We should be happy if that person came in with a platform that we agree with more and who isn't a pedophile, right? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and assume that I also heard a little bit about Roy Moore's platform, which I found mm-hmm. abhorrent, and so... Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm not saying that we were necessarily at fault, but I'm saying that the way we discussed that is emblematic of a larger problem. Yeah. Which is that um, people on both sides, when really the idea of both sides is itself a huge problem. Which that, is why I hate when people use that term. Right, and I hate it when Trump used it, especially in Charlottesville recently. Well, that was, that was extra bad. <laughs> but it's the same problem. It's, it's, 
an extreme degree, but it is basically the same problem. Um, it's not the same. It's it's a similar problem used in even more troubling ways. Um, but what I what I'm saying is that it's it no longer becomes a question of what's best for the country. It becomes a question of I need to beat you as someone who is not on my side. Mm-hmm. We're we're now on different sides within the same country. When really we should be. I guess on the same side. Can I say? I want to say one more thing. I lost you. This is really important to me, so I I get really amped up. Go ahead. Um, I'm really passionate about the idea that argument and debate between two people is really good as long as both of those people enter with the idea of learning more. And you defend a side or you argue a point, not because you need that point to be correct, but because in the act of arguing with someone else who joins you on that same level ground, you both find a better truth. That presupposes that both people are looking for a better truth. But that's what I'm saying yeah. is you, one of the quickest ways to get people to give up on that idea of a better truth is to give us different colored jerseys. Because then one person wins and one person loses rather than the whole country winning or the whole country losing. And then once you take those colored jerseys and you tend to distribute them towards people of one skin color, or you tend to distribute them towards people of one geographic area, or people of one socioeconomic class or one gender, um, it becomes tied to those identities as well, and that intersection reinforces itself. God damn. So what do we do? This is the, Fuck this, me if I know. This is the ultimate question just to shut any any, any lib cuck up. This is just a Ask him what we do. I believe the technical term is shit lives. Shit lives. Is that, God, I, I need to like wash my mouth out right now. I know. Um, um, what do you do with that? Actually, well, I think I think a really big step is uh, try and move away from a two party system. And there's a lot of ways you can do that, like uh, like uh, a preferential voting. Yep. So you can vote for a candidate that you like more, and then have like a set backup. For if your first candidate doesn't have enough votes, <clears throat> there's other systems that don't involve first past the post, but like proportional. So if forty percent of people vote for one one party and sixty percent for another, then they each get four and six seats in whatever parliament. Getting rid of the electoral college would make steps towards this as well. I I actually had some my own theories which I I worked on this summer, but I haven't really created a rigorous defense of them yet so I won't bring those up but there there are some other ways that you can get past this too but um but yeah so just the odds of those are just very difficult changes to make much like the idea of term limits because the people in charge don't want to create term limits because that's just limiting themselves. Even though I think term limits would be extremely beneficial. I I think it's downright criminal. They don't necessarily exist to the degree that they should. Um, yeah, I mean, it's Senate. The Senate's really bad about this. The House, too, but uh, thank God for George Washington. Otherwise, the presidency would have been a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, and I suppose FDR had a big role in that too. <laughs> um, or rather, his opponents. But wait, we just talked about how great FDR was. <laughs> Well, okay. I mean, I I do unabashedly... The last great progressive. I unabashedly love FDR, but obviously he had pretty huge uh, ripples in government after that point. Yeah. Like, I mean, stacking stack the... the he, there's, there's controversy with every president, but FDR actually did accomplish a lot that we now view as very foundational. But, um... Yeah. I'd say it was the role of his successors to take up that mantle and carry it forward and they did not. They did not. <laughs> Unfortunately, Henry Wallace was robbed of the vice presidential nomination for FDR. What a world we might live in right now. Do you want to tell us about Henry Wallace before we close? I don't know much okay. Henry Wallace is a new guy. Like I I I study history. Um <laughs> But I, I've never really heard of Henry Wallace until I watched a new documentary on Netflix called Oliver Stone's History of the United States or something. Something like that. But And this kind of brings up the idea Russian of... Russian cuck. Of, yeah, Henry Wallace was a little bit of a Russian cuck. No. I was talking about Oliver Stone. Yeah. Uh, or Oliver Stone, too. But um, it brings up the idea of you... You can only interpret as much as what you're told. And as a kid, I was never really told anything about Henry Wall, so I didn't even know until this documentary. And now I'm, I'm a slave to whatever Oliver Stone tells me about fucking Henry Wallace. But the 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 spark notes are that Henry Wallace was like much more even progressive than Roosevelt, but people in the Democratic Party kind of conspired together with business interests to put Truman on the ticket instead of Henry Wallace, where Wallace was definitely, he wanted civil rights 20 years before it ended up happening. He wanted, like, better cooperation after the end of World War II. He wanted other, like, things that would benefit all people. He wanted to continue the, the progressive programs made by Roosevelt, and instead we ended up with Truman, who... I was told was a great guy my whole life. And you Oliver were? Stone, pretty... I wasn't necessarily. Really? I mean, we watched some videos. Like, my, high school, my high school education was pretty neutral on Truman, I would say. Yeah. I mean, Truman ended up with really low approval ratings and stuff, but... yeah, he, I mean, he did a lot of shit, but he also went through a lot of shit, so I, I don't know. Tough time, but he could have done better. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he kind of stole it from Henry Wallace, even though he didn't deserve it. And Henry Wallace was... Capable, competent, inspiring, just just all around chill dude. Would Henry Wallace have dropped the bomb? Probably not. No, probably definitely not. <laughs> Interesting. And after after looking at Oliver Stone's documentary, only only literally Hitler would have dropped the bombs. <laughs> no, not literally Hitler, but it was a bad idea. They courted Oliver Stone, and it really kind of reinforces the idea that of bias in media and things like history. It's like, and as someone who studies history, that was really kind of shocking to me when I saw it because I had never experienced it so starkly before. Because the traditional excuse is, um, if we didn't drop the bomb, it would have led to more death or something like that. Yeah, because we would have had to invade Japan via the ground or something. I don't have the wherewithal to know if that's true or not, but what I would 
be willing to bet money on is that if I had the same education somewhere outside of the U.S. in some country that was a little more neutral, that's not the only answer I would have gotten. Yeah. Um, and obviously, if you're just doing the, the mental math of like 1.5 million versus 60,000, it's like, well, I wonder which is better. Like, yeah. Well, to be, my high school actually was a little bit better, but in general, I'd say the culture I grew up in is one that totally justifies the dropping of the bomb, yeah. as unfortunate as it was. In high school, I, I definitely thought it was justified. Until even recently, I thought it was more justified. But now I'm definitely not so sure about that. I think it had a lot to do with racism. A lot to do with like, global politics and things like that. So, Well, on that note, let's call it here. <laughs> you know, let's just end with the bombing. <laughs> what do we start with? Uh, digital boxes. Digital boxes and ended with the bombing of Japan. How ironic. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you, dear listener, for tuning in and for joining us. Actually, uh, I was hoping we'd end with something hopeful. Do you have anything hopeful? I know I asked you this early, but anything else that's hopeful? Um, it's looking like the uh, tuition waivers for graduate students are no longer going to be taxed. Or like the, the threat of taxing those tuition waivers is gone. Um, that's really hopeful for me as someone who wants to go to grad school, but I think is a larger... Uh, bullet that we dodged because it's really important to me that access to higher education be as open as possible. Um, and I think we need to take a lot of steps towards that at the graduate and the undergraduate level. But um, the fact that we managed to keep it and not lose it for the graduate level is something that I feel very, I'm very thankful for that, um, that we dodged that insanity pitfall, even though we stepped in 99 other ones. So that's a hopeful note. Okay. Do you have a hopeful note? Uh, I'm working on some some theories that'll hopefully make 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 for more interesting things for the listeners to consider in their free time. Should they ever listen to this podcast? Um, other than that, I'm just say communism is going to win. <laughs> let's let's okay. What? <laughs> you know what we should do? We should take that. Um, MLK quote uh, the, the moral arc of the universe bends toward justice I think yeah. that was what it was the moral arc of the universe bends towards communism there we go That's, that should be it bends towards communism okay alright thank you ladies and gentlemen for tuning in we'll talk to you again soon uh, take care and as always stay frosty stay frosty